Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's harder to focus than ever these days. Thankfully, C4 has reinvented the energy drink game with C4 Smart Energy, the only energy drink clinically proven to provide enhanced mental focus, containing 200 milligram of natural caffeine, a blend of vitamins and zero sugar. It was formulated to support your well-being and help you feel your best, all while enhancing mental focus. From your brain to your body, C4 Smart Energy does it all and tastes amazing. Look for Smart Energy in the beverage aisle at your local Kroger, Albertsons, and Safeway grocery stores. C4 Smart Energy. Stay focused. When it comes to picking the perfect treats for your dog, Stuart makes the choice easy by keeping it real. Real ingredients, real nutrients, real benefits. Stewart dog treats are free from additives, corn, soy, wheat, and grains. Plus, they're freeze-dried to lock in all the great nutrition and natural flavor your furry friend deserves. Stewart freeze-dried dog treats. Big, tail-wagging nutritional benefits. Available on Amazon.com today. It's 3 o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this, all of My Mochi's fabulous flavors like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. Graduation is a sweet occasion, but finding the perfect gift can be a bitter struggle. MMS.com has a solution personalized M&Ms. Just imagine the look on your grad's face when they receive a custom candy creation featuring their school's colors, name, and even their photo printed right on some M&Ms. It's a thoughtful way to celebrate their accomplishments and make the occasion even more special. Visit MMS.com to create your own personalized gifts and party favors for graduations, weddings, birthdays, and more. That's MMS.com. Use code WONDERY to receive 15% off your next order. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. 
And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from Dallas, Texas, in the Arts District, from the brand new Hall Arts Hotel. I'm always amazed that, that every time I look around, there's someplace else I didn't know about in Dallas, uh, especially in terms of museums. And one of them happens to be the old Red Museum of Dallas County. And it's called the Red Museum of Dallas County History and Culture, if you really want to the entire title. And the executive director is not just like an executive director. He's a musician, a Grammy Award-winning blues musician named Zach Harmon. How are you, sir? Thank you so much. I'm doing wonderful. I'm, I'm going to let you do this show. With that voice, you can just do the show. Okay. Well, sure, let's your, do it. Okay, okay. you, you playing requests? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Tell me about the museum. What may, first of all, how far back does it go, and what are people going to see there? Well, this museum starts with uh, John Neely Bryant um, coming to Dallas in, the, in 1842 and uh, brings you up through um, today. And basically, we're talking culture. Absolutely. And music. And everything that Dallas brings you. You argue that it, this is the one place where you can learn the true Dallas. Absolutely. This, in, in what way? Well, you know, when most people think about Dallas, I mean, quite naturally, they think about an assassination. But Dallas is much more than an assassination. Dallas is probably the most incredible southern city. I mean, think about it. Uh, Dallas had the worst public relations nightmare that any public, that any city could possibly have, the assassination of the leader of the free world. And you look at every city in the South today, and Dallas is still leading. That's got to tell you something about this city. Resilience. Absolutely. And what am I going to see at this museum? You're going to see uh, everything uh, uh, from the time that John Neely Bryant came here to, to, to discover some uh, uh, what, what he planned on a utopian communi community. He called it La Reunion. It was kind of going to be like, uh, you know, uh, Southern California commune, you know. And uh, he was right on the Trinity River, and that's where it all started. And uh, you're going to, so you're going to see everything from that point up until today. Everything that has made this city great. And there have been some real changes that have, uh, you know, changes in industry, changes in culture that have really uh, made the city blossom. Now, you moved here from Los Angeles. Yes, I did. Now, that's an unusual change. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm a southerner. You came back. That's right. I came home. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't take the 405 freeway. Is what you... Oh, God, let's not talk about that. I, I just did. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're going to have me going in, into convulsions in here. No, if you move to Los Angeles now, you're actually going to be living on the 405. Yeah, that's what I heard. Oh, it's, it's that bad. Yeah, it is that bad. Uh, but you're still touring, right? Oh, of course. And where are you playing? Well, uh, I, I do about uh, three tours a year in Europe. Uh, uh, I just, as a matter of fact, I just returned from uh, a tour of Eastern Europe, um, you know. And what are you playing? What do I play? Yeah. I play blues I and know. jazz. I know. But yeah. is there such a thing, speaking of Dallas, as Dallas blues? Well, listen, there's Texas blues, okay? Um, but you, got, you have to understand that the largest export from this country is American music. Always has been. Everywhere you go. Sure. So Texas blues is, you know, coveted all around the world. 
anybody who travels outside the United States and pick a, a location that's the, the weirdest idea you could imagine, they know our music. Absolutely. Wherever you go. That's what we're known for. You know, they're doing two things. In the most remote locations in the world, they're using car batteries to power old black and white TVs to watch our video culture. And then they got the headphones on and they're listening. They're, they're listening in instantaneous translation time. Well, uh, you know, the, the weirdest thing is to go to a place like Tunisia yeah. and, and watch uh, rap music <laughs> in Tunisia. <laughs> that's a surprise, well, but it isn't. Yeah. I mean, our culture, you know, it's, it's everywhere, you know. Are you ever playing at the museum here? Of course. Of course. I do everything I can to promote this museum here because this is, I mean, you know, let, let's, let's face it, you know, history is not such a sexy thing. You know, and when people come here, you know, the first thing they want to see is where was Kennedy assassinated. But, you know, the most wonderful thing about our culture right here in Dallas is the legacy and the leadership that we've had here. And it's, it's, it's worth talking about, you know. And, and so, here we are in the Arts District. That's right. I mean, that, that I never envisioned 20 years ago. Did you? Uh, well, I, I, I'm a visionary, so I, I thought it would come. <laughs> So you're taking credit for it? Well, not gonna, not going to take credit, but you know I'm going to get on the bandwagon. Uh, will you play at the hotel here? Absolutely. If I'm invited, I'm going to be right here. Something tells me you're going to get invited. I just had the th thought that you might get invited. Okay. Well, let's do it. How how old how how often is the museum open? Museum is open seven days a week, nine to five. Any admission? Yeah, it's uh it's ten dollars for uh, adults. Eight for seniors, uh, eight for students, and six for kids. And how much for musicians who are visionaries? <laughs> we'll let them in free. <laughs> so you you got to pass. Absolutely. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. to live in Houston, uh, correspondent for Newsweek, um, was in Dallas all the time, uh, got outfitted at Windy Ryan's at, for, at the old stockyards in Fort Worth, uh, went riding with the old Texas Rangers looking for cattle rustlers. Yes, that's how old I am. You can call me Gabby. Uh, <laughs> but my next guest knows about 100 things to do in Dallas because she wrote the book. Tui Snyder, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Well, when I was here, and when I was in Houston, I'll give you an example. When I was in Houston working for Newsweek, there were no tunnels and bridges. You roasted in the summer, um, and, and you roasted in the summer in Dallas. Uh, and to give you an idea of how crazy it was, the only place I could go to lunch in Houston was the coffee shop at Foley's, right? That was in those days. Now, I mean, you would, you would literally run out of time trying to figure out all the things you want to do. And that's how you did the book. Yeah, it was hard to narrow it down. Well, when you say 101 things, or 100 things, excuse me, we'll, we're, we'll worry about that 101st yeah. thing there, things to do in Dallas. I mean, how did you divide the book? And then how did you actually figure out what was worth being in the book? Yeah, so when I was invited to write the book, you know, the title is 100 Things to Do in Dallas-Fort Worth Before You Die, and it actually, the cover has a bucket on it. So I, I realized, oh, this is a bucket list. 
And so I. Or, or, or it could be as Jimmy Durante did in the opening of the movie uh, Mad, 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 Mad World. He kicked the bucket. <laughs> Definitely. For those people who remember that movie. Oh, right? that's a great movie. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so I thought, well, to me, my idea of what a bucket list, I just thought that's some crazy thing, you, you know, jumping out of a plane or driving a race car, something you only do once. But since I'm not a native Texan, and that's kind of a thing. But that was a benefit to you. you could, it uh, is. Because you could see things that people would otherwise take for granted. I do. I think I come with a real fresh eye. The, and I can ask the dumb questions because, heck, I've only been here, you know, 10 years. Okay, Pat, Pat, bless your heart. You know, I can ask the dumb questions. But I, I asked my readers what they thought belonged on a bucket list. And that's when I was surprised because uh, I got responses from people, not just the Texans on my, you know, newsletter and on Facebook, but also people from... Uh, other parts like, you know, Idaho and Florida, because even though this is another thing about people who live in Texas, and maybe you notice this, Peter, but it's like when, even if you move away from Texas, you still kind of feel like you're a Texan. So I got lists from people, you know, honorary Texans up in Idaho, and I just kind of looked and saw what appeared on the lists, realized that what they thought belonged on a bucket list were places you would take your family and we'd go again and again, not just that one-off thing. Such as? Oh, such as. Well, there is one. This was actually the top contender, and I, it was not even really on my radar. It is called Burgers Lake, and this is a little family-owned uh, um, swimming hole. And, you know, it's beautiful. It's old-fashioned. It's like a water park before they had water parks. So you've got, you know, a gorgeous spring-fed place to swim. But this showed up over and over on people's lists, so I had to include it in the book. Wow. And then what do you do there? I know. You go swimming. You do. It's like a... Um, it's a much like a, a milder version of a water park. Like when I think, you know, the, there's some wonderful water parks here because, as you know, we do roast in the summer. But uh, you can take a picnic. You can kick back. It's kind of quiet. You know, grandma and grandpa can go and sit in the shade. It's not going to bother them. Um, if you listen to the radio, whatever. And they've got the old old-fashioned tire swings and this or that. It's, it's like a bygone era. All right. A surprise that you don't necessarily think you're going to find in Dallas. What else? Oh, other, other things. Another surprise, I think, that... Uh, we were talking earlier about stereotypes people have about Texas. And, of course, there's great barbecue here. There's great steak. There's carnivores <laughs> galore. There's all sorts of things. Uh, but there's a wonderful, award-winning vegetarian restaurant that I love to take people to when they come and visit me from out of town. And I like to surprise them. Uh, it's called Call It Chanji's. And it is and it's uh, in a little neighborhood, and then you turn the corner, and then there's this big palace there. It's in a Hare Krishna temple, and the food there is phenomenal. It's really good. little chutney? Yes, they've just, got just, that. Just guessing. <laughs> but you know what they don't have? What? So obviously there's no meat. Right. But they don't use eggs, onion, or garlic. And so you think it's going to be bland, well, but well, it is wait, wait, so let's good. Let, wait, hey, a world without garlic is a pretty boring world. I, I'm married to a guy who's half Italian, so like our, our kitchen is full. If we run out of garlic, it is an emergency. So when we eat there, though, the food is amazing. You know, in going through your book, I noticed one thing that surprised me, uh, a number of things that surprised me. One is, you can go fishing. Oh, yes. And they loan you the tackle. Yes, isn't that wonderful? There is a tackle loaner program. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you catch? Oh, you catch, well, it depends on what time of year, but catfish or trout, that's primarily what they stock. There's a lot of stocked ponds all throughout the Metroplex. So the cool thing is, for example, if I was staying here at the Hall Arts Hotel, mm -hmm. I could go rent the tackle, 
work a deal out with the chef here. Go catch the fish and have him cook it. Oh, now you're talking. That's a good idea. That's a different experience. That would be. All right, so right before the break, I asked you to think about the one thing in this book. I mean, that was the one that surprised me about mm-hmm. tackle, right? But what's the one thing that surprised you? You know, a lot of things surprised me, and, and that's one reason I love doing research is because I usually have a preconceived idea, and a lot of times I'm wrong. But one thing that surprised me about uh, Texas in general was that there is um, a, a dialect of German that's unique to Texas, and I thought that was pretty amazing. Are you telling me there's great German restaurants now? There are, yes. There's Edelweiss, Little Germany, and you'll there's little bakeries here and there. Uh, yes, and of course beer, German beer, but it was brought over by German immigrants. Wow, that I did not know that. You see, there's one. Yes, and here's a great word. This is my favorite word. They There aren't any skunks in Europe. So when the Germans came to Texas, they had to come up with a name for it, and they came up with a perfect name. It's Stinkkotz. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I, useless information, but I'll remember that. <laughs> oh. If I ever see a Stinkkotz on the street. You will know it. I will, I will smell it. What you are you will. talking about? Uh, when it comes to food, though, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's what you're expecting, right, in, in, in this part of the country. But then there are the surprises like the vegetarian place you mentioned. Yes. What about pancakes? Oh, pancakes. Oh, well, my favorite is in, we're getting to the German thing, I guess, Old South um, Pancake House. They have German pancakes there, and they come over to your table, and they fold it up right at the table. First, they squirt all this lemon on it and dust it with sugar, and then they just fold it up. It is amazing. Just don't go there on Sunday because everybody goes there after church, so just don't go there then. See, now, when I come to Dallas, I usually go over to see Dean Faring and have his lobster bisque because it's, 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 uh, it's pretty good. But there's Tex-Mex everywhere. Yeah, there is. Oh, there is so much. Uh, there's no shortage of Tex-Mex. I mean, and, and there's no shortage of barbecue either. One of my favorite barbecue joints is actually our Chinese buffet around the corner. I mean, Come on. The bar is so high. Everyone can make it here. <laughs> Chinese, and everyone, you chi- can start arguments. Chinese but, buffet barbecue. Yes. And I was, I had my nose turned up a little bit. I was actually there for the Chinese food. Shocker. But I decided to try a little of their ribs. And I thought, oh my gosh, what is this? You well, know? you know what? I'll give you an example. In Toronto, the best steakhouse in Canada mm-hmm. is a Chinese restaurant. Well, it's called House of Chan. Who knew? Oh, wow. Nobody gets an egg roll. They have the, the ribeye. You know, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> uh, by the way, speaking of, of surprises, what's the Gone with the Wind Museum? Oh, the Gone with the Wind Museum. That is in Cleburne. And that was, well, basically what happened is a woman who had been collecting Gone with the Wind memorabilia, her husband gave her an ultimatum. You know, it's taking over the house. We either need to get rid of it. So she thought, hey, let's just make a museum. So she created this museum. You go in there. It plays 24-7 in one room. They have, my favorite part is the bookshelves. They have all these translations of Gone with the Wind and every, you know, there's Cyrillic, there's Greek, there's Italian. It's really neat. Of course, Margaret Mitchell wrote that book, though, in Atlanta. You know that. Oh, I know. It's not a very Texan thing, but (laughs) we can't help but love it anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, speaking of that, uh, one of the things in your book that I actually did a story on years ago was Mm -hmm. the Dollhouse Museum. Oh, you did? Uh, We did. Oh, that is such, that was a new thing to me. Yeah. I was so surprised. I went there with a couple of guys, one of them is a, a veteran, and I did not think, you know, with two men in tow, that we were going to spend much time there. Oh, an hour and a half later, we were looking at everything. Did you see that, um, her Dolly record doll when you were there? Yeah, look, they got 23, what, thousand dolls in They've there. They've got so many. they got the doll hospital upstairs where they're oh, fixing you need them a, up. Well, $23,000, <laughs> you need a doll hospital. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Comes with the care. And then the National Cowgirl Museum. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. I mean, who thinks? Cowgirls. It's, it's wonderful. 
it's downtown in the Fort Worth. You can go and you know, have your picture taken on riding on one beat. Pretend you're a cowgirl for a day. Live the fantasy. How did that work out for you? Well, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to quit my day job. <laughs> <laughs> and the biggest surprise to me in your book, Michelangelo. Yes. The only Michelangelo painting in the Western Hemisphere, and Michelangelo only did two paintings, is in the free section of the Kimball Arts Museum. You can just walk right in and see it. And the thing that gets me is he, he painted this when he was only 12 or 13 years old. And it's just amazing. It's the torment of St. Anthony. When I was 12 and 13 years old, I was painting by the numbers. Remember that? Yes. <laughs> I was just drawing in the margins, you know, by nothing to keep. Wow. We're talking to Tui Snyder, the author of 100 Things to Do in Dallas Before You Die. So if you can survive the German pancakes and the Dahl Museum, not to mention the Dahl Hospital... <laughs> Then, of course, you come over, go fishing, mm-hmm. have the chef at the Hall Arts uh, Hotel cook it for you, and you're stuck. Oh, that sounds perfect. Coming from New York, uh, actually, I was a correspondent for Newsweek in Houston, so I covered Texas back in the 70s. I never envisioned a district like this. I never saw it. I never, I, I never imagined it would ever happen. Uh, and now it has, and this is the first hotel opened in the Arts District, and it's all because of a guy named Craig Hall. Welcome aboard. Good to be with you, and I've I got to correct you, though. It's not all because of Craig Hall. It's, uh, I'm just a little part of it. Spoken by the guy who made it happen. Well, <laughs> I'm lucky to be part of it. All right. This humble moment is now, is, is now past us, and we'll, we'll get down to some, some interesting stuff. First of all, you're not from here. Uh, originally, I'm from Michigan. And what, what brought you to Texas? Well, uh, in the mid '80s, or actually in the early '80s, uh, uh, this was a great central location. Still is uh, for travel. I had a business that was all over the United States, and Dallas was a can-do, positive spirit. Still is. And I have to ask the stupid question: What did you know about hotels? Well, I've been in the hotel business in different ways for many years. We built uh, two hotels in Paris, France, whoa, and uh, small ones, uh, and we have a hotel in uh, Napa. But we're not—we don't want to do brands. We want to do something unique and different, and that's—and that's, that's what this is. Absolutely, this is essentially an art gallery with beds. Well, I guess that's a very nice way to say it. But it, hopefully, it's a place where you experience something unique and, right. and just have a really great time. And what was it? Because um, first of all, it's one thing to have the idea and the vision. Then you got to put it together. And the question is, what did you actually see, and 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 did it happen? Well, what we hoped was to create a place that would be a great, uh, comfortable place for business people during the week. We we're, we're in near the uh, business center of Dallas, and for people to come on weekends for a staycation if you live in the area or from out of the area to see plays and to see musicals and. We have the opera, the symphony, the theater, the museums. It's all right here. And it's walking distance from here. All walking distance and several great restaurants. So it's, it's a real urban experience for Texas. What I found fascinating and somewhat incredible is that just after just only two years after breaking ground, you've opened the doors. Well, it's, it, it was a lot more years of planning, I think, and a lot, <laughs> and, and, and a lot of years of heartache. It's, not, it's a hotel, particularly unique hotels are very uh, detail-oriented and a lot, lot to do. Now, of course, it's called the Hall Arts Hotel, so let's talk about the art. How did you pick it, and what was, the, what was, what was your concept? We have a long-term relationship with a, a close friend named Virginia Shore, who is out of Washington, D.C., and she is a curator who uh, really is incredible. 
uh, and she did all of the public art and the spaces. And then Patricia Meadows, a close friend, did the photographs in the rooms. And yeah, every, everything we'll, we'll be talking to her later, a little yeah. later, later on. Yeah. And did you have a hand in picking the art? I did. Did I, you have to approve it? Every every single piece. And uh, I, I, what did you not approve? That's what I want to know. I don't think anything. Um, <laughs> there might be something, but I, you know, I I think uh, my name's on the door, so I better 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 have a hand in doing it right. Anything that you painted? No, I'm, I, I have I have standards. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go that low. What piece spoke to you the the loudest? You know, it's kind of like uh, children, Peter. You, you, if I said to you, which of your five or ten kids do you like the most, you can't answer that. I can't. No, answer in my case, it's which of my five or ten kids do I want to admit? Yeah. Well, okay. Well, I, in this case, I'm. I'm. Uh, I really. I, I've had an experience before. We we are in the wine business as well, and we have. Uh, and that explains look, Napa. Well, that explains Napa. Yes, and we we have learned that we put a lot of art in uh, a winery. And there's some piece that stands out, and over time people say, oh, that is... So we have a chandelier in, in, in an underground cave room in Rutherford, California, and everybody... I've been to places in Israel in a desert, and people say, oh, you're from Napa Valley. There's this great chandelier there. <laughs> so I hope there'll be a piece of art in, in that will speak to different people in different ways, but I, I don't know which one it is yet. But something here is going to be making a statement. I hope more than one thing, but certainly something I hope will make and a statement. And right outside where we're sitting right now, you have a sculpture garden. Correct. We started that. Uh, we have an office building adjacent that we built in 2015 uh, before the hotel and, and the residences, which are uh, adjacent to the hotel here. And we have art in, in the sculpture uh, garden adjacent to it. And then we have a big Richard Long uh, hand-done mud painting on the wall in the uh, lobby of the art, uh, office building. Now, you've opened up a restaurant in honor of your mom, I believe. It is. I, I, I don't know. I must have been drinking too much hall wine the, the night before that idea. I don't is that know. a shameless plug? Uh, yeah, it's a shameless okay, plug. Okay, just double check. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, and then you've got Oprah Chef? Uh, that was a lucky deal. So uh, he was, uh, that's a rumor. I've heard that uh, rumor. But before he was. Uh, Are you here to uh, confirm the rumor? Uh, you know, I don't know that we're able to do that, but but I, I wouldn't disavow any, any statement like that. But But I will say. He was a sous chef for uh, Dean Faring, who runs who I the know best very well. Yeah, Dean's a great guy, and Dean Dean runs uh, the best restaurant in town. And and uh, uh, Eric uh, um, Dreyer worked for as Dean's number two for eleven years, and and uh, would, you know has really the best the best talent. Oh yeah, I mean whenever I come to Dallas, except for today, I'm over at Dean's having the lobster bisque, and there you go, unbelievable. That's great. Tex Mex Tex Mex lobster bisque. Yeah, you got it exactly. What's the one signature item on on the menu then? You know, I, I happen to like ahi tuna, and I'm a fish. I, I, I for years I didn't even eat fish, but I don't eat any meat, so I'm I'm maybe me the wrong guy. Me too. I'm a pescatarian. And, yeah, and and so for me, uh, I like the salmon and I like the uh, ahi tuna. You know, Texans generally like meat, and I can't I can't I can't say how good or bad those are, except I know everybody else is raving, so they must be great. Well, if you're in Texas, you have to have meat on the menu. Absolutely. But now you got salmon. Yes, indeed. And ahi tuna. Absolutely. <laughs> the question, of course, that I always ask anytime somebody tells me they have an art hotel, like 21C in Louisville and some other hotels like that, does the do the exhibits rotate? Can I buy the art? Is no, actually, most of the art in this hotel was made for that particular space by an artist who was commissioned to do that. And it's not for resale. It's not um, rotating. However, we want to do everything we can to introduce people to those artists and and uh you know we picked artists that were 
both successful and up and coming. Uh, and we certainly love to tell their story because we love to help artists, uh, you know, make a living and, and enjoy great success. So guests who stay here at the Hall Arts Hotel can, uh, on their own, commission a piece? Oh, sure. Or, or, or go find the website and learn more about the artist's existing pieces that can be bought. Exactly. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. Joining us now, the front row editor for D Magazine, Natalie Gempel. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. So, what do you think? It's really great. It's cool to see um, the arts district really start to come to fruition. You know, there have been some great venues for music and performance around here, but not so many for walking around. So th it's good to have another reason to hang out around here. Anytime you can have a city that actually allows you and encourages you to walk, yeah, it's not a bad deal. Yeah, and Dallas isn't typically known for being the most walkable city, so I think it's slowly taking some steps. To but when you see the way they designed this district, when you mm -hmm. see the way they built the buildings and, and, and allow for a flow. Yes, definitely. It's, it's meant to be walkable, and hopefully I think that with the addition of this hotel and some new things, it's going to see that come now, to Now, this is life. the weekend before Christmas, so mm -hmm. obviously the lights are out. Obviously, there are things to do, but what is special for you about well, Dallas at Christmas? Well, you know, Dallas, it's not exactly a place to have a white Christmas. It's, it's not, not a winter wonderland? It's, it's not exactly a winter wonderland, <laughs> but I think we make up for it with some of the things that there are to do around here around Christmas. Um, there are a few that are kind of my personal favorites and traditions around here. The Dallas Arboretum has a yeah. really wonderful 12 days of Christmas display that's these giant Victorian style gazebos. Is there a partridge in a pear tree? There is. There's no. A, yes. Oh God. Okay. It goes through every one of the verses. So there's twelve giant gazebos. Um, <laughs> it's it's quite a sight to behold. <laughs> I, I'm sure. But you know, I remember the neighborhood I used to hang out at was was Highland Park, mm -hmm. and they're doing carriage rides there. They are. Yes, you can go take a carriage ride through the neighborhood and see the lights there's some really great lights over there so that's always a fun activity to do with families or on a date or whoever and of course nothing says christmas in dallas like barbecue yeah barbecue is a year-round thing but no <laughs> barbecue reindeer no barbecue reindeer <laughs> try to stick to brisket and ribs and things like that all right so where are you taking me for barbecue well, I think that the, the place most people would recommend is Pecan Lodge. That's probably the most famous barbecue spot in Dallas. It's honestly not my favorite. I think that Slow Bone is my favorite. It's, because? It's, it just The brisket's just a little bit smokier. I don't know. There's something that, that just makes it a little bit better for me. But Pecan it, Lodge is pretty dang good still. If you don't mind standing in line. Yeah, you do have to, you have to expect a line, but there is a trick. If you are ordering more than five pounds, you can, <laughs> you can go in an express line. <laughs> so either... so something, there's a disconnect between more than five pounds and express line. Yeah, it's, it's a bit odd, but if you're really hungry or you're with a big group, you can skip the line and it makes it a little bit less, um, less of a wait. <laughs> How's Deep Ellum doing? Because there was a time in Dallas where Deep Ellum was falling apart. Yeah, it's it's really experienced a big resurgence in the last year, in the last few years, I guess. You know, and Uber's about to open a big 
office there. Um, but there's there's a lot to do there now, and it's known as sort of a nightlife area, but it's become more family friendly. There's, you know, lots of restaurants. That's where Pecan Lodge is. That's where a lot of new restaurants, patios, things to do. So it's honestly a great place to just walk around. I would probably avoid it on weekend nights because it gets a little bit rowdy. But other than that, it's a really fun area. Gee, Texas and rowdy? I've never heard. (laughs) But here we are at the Hall Arts, which is essentially an art installation, if you will. Mm -hmm. Right? But there's so many art galleries now where they do gallery nights and you can walk around. There are. There are a ton of galleries to walk around at. Um, In the design district, I would say Dragon Street is one place where pretty much every block you're going to find a big variety of galleries. The Cedars has some really great galleries, um, as well as, of course, yeah, the Arts District is obviously a good go-to with the Dallas Museum of Art and the Nasher Sculpture Center and also the Crow Museum, which is... Yeah, my first sort of real of introduction to sculpture actually happened here at the oh, Nasher. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's you a really could, unique because, because it had enough space where you could actually walk around. Yeah, it's great. I really, I really like the Nasher, and the Crow Museum is also really great. That's kind of a little lesser known. It's just across the street and it's free and they just redid it. So that's a great, I would recommend going there. And now sure. here at the Hall Arts, I mean, literally about 50 feet away from me, there's a sculpture mm-hmm. garden here that you can easily walk to and take the time to actually appreciate. Yeah. So All local artists too. Yeah. There's, there's really a lot to see in this, in a few blocks just in this area. Okay. What's the one surprise place you want to take me that no one ever would expect was in, is in Dallas? I would say, um, one of my favorite places, I don't know if this is quite a surprise place, but Hyde Bar in Deep Ellum, it's shockingly good food. You would think it's just kind of a cocktail spot, but they have amazing food. And actually, it's right now it's called a Miracle Bar. It's the number one Miracle Bar in America. Which, which means what? I, I guess it's just kind of like a Christmas theme. No, I'm, that means if you can walk out of there after three drinks, it's, it's a, a miracle. Mir- yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe it's that, but <laughs> it's a great spot. So go there, but designated driver. Yeah, I would recommend that. I got it. (laughs) Natalie Gempel, the front row editor for D Magazine. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you at the Hyde Bar for the Miracle. Riding along in my automobile. My baby beside me at the wheel. Cruising and playing the radio. With no particular place to go. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. Dallas is now, it's expanded and it's also contracted in many areas, uh, but 
What an amazing hotel. And as you heard during the rest of the show, you can't walk about 20 feet without seeing more artwork. Um, I, I'm wondering whether it's a museum that happens to be a hotel or a hotel that happens to be a museum. We'll find out about that. But joining me now, the president and CEO of Downtown Dallas, Courtney Garrett. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. I mean, let me give you my history of, of Dallas. I used to be based in Houston for Newsweek, and Dallas was never like this. Uh, Houston was never like this. I'm reminded of um, the former mayor of Houston, Louis Welch, and uh, the, the opera council in Houston had run out of money, and they wouldn't be able to have a season. And they were about to go belly up, and they went to the mayor, and they said, Mr. Mayor, you're our last hope because you, you're independently wealthy. If you will give us the money, we will actually have another season of, of opera. And he said, I'll do it on one condition. He said, well, I don't have to go. <laughs> Things have changed, haven't That's, they? Uh, just a little bit. I now, you so. guys are a prov private nonprofit foundation or organization that really just works to, to, to make all this happen. Absolutely. Anything and everything that has to do with downtown, we touch in some way. Okay, now help us out. Define downtown now. <laughs> Since you heard me, in the right? Answer. Yeah, no, that's a that's a very good question. I think everyone sort of has their own adoption of what downtown is. For us, downtown is driven by the Central Business District, which, if you're listening from Dallas, that's within the small freeway loop. But it's really where the big buildings are. But we've had so much change within two miles of downtown. We actually call downtown a number of different districts as our urban core of Dallas continues to change and evolve. I like the way you describe that, where the big buildings are. That yeah. should be your branding message, right? Yeah. <laughs> It's very sophisticated. Exactly. But give me an idea of how this has all changed, because it really has radically transformed. We have seen so much transformation in the last 20 years. In 1996, we had 200 people living downtown. 200 in one building. And no one wanted to admit it. Absolutely. <laughs> people came in. That's We've, like downtown L.A. It's true. It's, it's like exactly many, yeah. many downtowns across America. Right. We all experienced that suburban flight in the 1980s. So we became strictly a commercial office park. Well, now we sit with 12,000 residents within where the big buildings are and 75,000 within a little bit of a bigger circle. 135,000 people working and growing. All of that is growing. And Part of that now, integrate, I mean, in, a, in an integral way, is the arts district. Absolutely. So you build a residential population, then suddenly you're building community. You're building a livable space. And green space. Green space comes along with that. Arts and culture, retail, services. So we went from this commercial office center in the late 80s and 90s, and now all of a sudden we are what I like to call a livable downtown, which is attractive for tourism, attractive for residents, and attractive for companies. When I first came to Dallas, the place you wanted to go was Deep Ellum. You know, right? That not that's that's changed too. Well, we still want to go to Deep Ellum, yeah. but we have a lot of other choices too. Right. We've been. But you travel to Deep Ellum. Right. Here, you can actually just live here. That's true, and yeah. you can live in Deep Ellum now too. Yeah. We have some great residential options. You know, Uber's moving a big office into Deep Ellum. So never heard of them. Never. Right. No. no, no. I know. Yeah. That little transportation technology company. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, so all of that has really changed the landscape here. I mean, we have multiple districts with all different offerings, and I think that's one of the surprises that people find when they come to Dallas. And, of course, with residential and business and green space comes hotels. Absolutely. Like like the Hall Art. Big driver of hotels. We will, by the time our next three hotels are complete, Hall Arts being the first of those three, we'll have 10,000 hotel rooms in downtown alone. So huge driver, huge demand in the market from both a tourism and a convention standpoint. All right. So what's been your biggest challenge? Ooh, good question. Keeping up with the pace. 
to be quite honest. Well, ma- well, managing it too. Well, exactly. And it's a lot of consensus building, a lot of bringing everyone together under one vision. But we have $4 billion of active private development happening in downtown Dallas today. All moving forward, all exciting projects, all mixed use. But yeah, we want to make sure that that development keeps moving forward in the right way. And how does this hotel fit in? This hotel fits in beautifully. What I love about the newest projects that have come into downtown is that they're more than just the brick and mortar. They're providing an experience. Here you have the art. You have just the feeling when you walk in. Whether you're a visitor, whether you're an office worker next door, whether you're a resident in the Hall Arts condos, it's more than just a place to stay overnight when you're visiting. I mean, it's not like just adding up the numbers and saying we have X number of rooms. You're actually creating an experience. Absolutely. And And that's integral. And the art? And the art is unparalleled. And another one of those great surprises about Dallas, when you come to this city, not everyone expects that you're going to have an internationally, an international level experience. Well, don't you know there's no culture west of the Hudson River? You didn't no, know that. No, of course. It's all J.R. Ewing. <laughs> wow. Talk, now, you, now you've dated me. That's it. We're done. <laughs> Courtney Garrett, the president and CEO of Downtown Dallas. Nice work. Thank you very much. Yeah. Have you stayed here yet? I have not. It's only been a week. I know. We toured it. Don't you want to be first on your blog? I know. (laughs) Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. My next guest came to Dallas via, of course, the way most people come to Texas, from Abu Dhabi. Uh, she's, she's the chief executive officer of the Perot Museum, Linda Silver. Hi, Linda. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. You know, most people, I'm, I'm going to express a little bit of, of ignorance for my audience. I think that most people wouldn't even sure. know there is a Perot Museum. There is a Perot Museum, but we're young. We're only seven years old as of this month, as a matter of fact. However, we have long roots. We were the original Natural History Museum in Dallas, as well as the Science Museum and the Children's Museum. So we opened in December of 2012 as a combined organization. So a venture of all three of those organizations under one roof and under the Perot name. Now, you come to this with about 25 years of history in the museum business, you were, you, know, you were the Great Lakes yep. Science Center, which, by the way, I know very well. I, I love it. I love it because it's interactive. Good. I do. There are, yep. there are a couple of great museums Good. like that yes. in America. Uh, the Liberty Center in, yep. in New Jersey, also a great interactive center for, 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 for this. But what's different about the Perot Museum? What, what's making it special? So I think a number of things. One is our history. So as an organization, we are, as I was saying earlier, a hybrid organization. We are a research and collections-based natural history museum with real scientists that work on scientific endeavors. We are an interactive science museum with a wonderful um, science phenomenon that you see in hands-on exhibitions. And we're a children's museum all under one roof. So that really makes us a unique museum and a very special experience in Dallas. Exactly. And I, you know, I mentioned interactive. I love that you have a dig site. 
We have, so we have multiples. We have a wonderful dig site that is a temporary dig site right now as part of our Origins exhibition. And this is a temporary exhibition that is only going to be in Dallas. And it'll, it's open now, and it runs through March 22nd. And it features early human fossils, real fossils, in fact, holotype specimens that have been allowed out of Africa for the very first time. They're only on display at the Perot Museum. And the dig site that you mentioned is part of that interactive exhibition that I hope people will be interested in coming down and taking part of. And this is a number that when I saw it, it was staggering to me that some of these specimens are, and I, I was actually think this was a typo, 250,000 no. years old. <laughs> so interesting, in this exhibition, we have both fossils that are almost 2 million years old, so 1.97 million years old, an Australopithecus sediba fossil, and then we have a 250,000-year-old Homo naledi, which would have existed at the same time as Homo sapiens. So both of these um, new species of human have been found in the last 10 years by National Geographic explorer Lee Berger, and it's through our partnership with National Geographic and this university in South Africa that we were able to secure the fossils and their loan to the Perot Museum. So the only time they'll be in North Africa is right now. The only time you'll be able to see these fossils outside of Africa. Okay, stupid question from a guy who failed science in high school. How did sure. you come up with Okay, how did you come up with 1.97 million as an age? How do you do that? <laughs> So the, um, the, the scientists who are working on it look at a number of different things. They look at the features, the anatomical features of the fossils that we find, and then they do some genetic or DNA analysis of these fossils. Same with the ones that we found that were 250,000 years old. It was actually shocking to them that these fossils weren't older than we thought because these species had both very ancient as well as some modern um, features in them. Um, but the interesting thing is that they have totally changed the way that we think about human evolution. We used to think about it as a very organized step-by-step um, uh, process, if you will. And now we see that, in fact, many of these species were coexisting at the same time, interacting, and that the way that Lee Berger explains it is that human evolution is much more of a braided stream than it is a tree or a lineage. So it's, it's, right. it's interesting, and, and um, these fossils kind of reveal that interesting, very nuanced human history, all of the shared ancestry that we have. Well, you realize this destroys all my early education because I just always believed there was Cro-Magnon, and here we are. <laughs> yep. yep, and we had a T-shirt that showed that, right? Oh, we, I remember it. Had, you know, uh, a, uh, yep. And so um, what scientists are realizing now is that that, is a that was a very simplified model of um, our, our human history. And, in fact, it's much more nuanced, much more complex, and, frankly, much more interesting. So those fossils are on display. And not only can our visitors come and see them, but what we've done is we've created a laboratory in the exhibition that's open. So we've invited scientists from around North America to come and study these fossils. And as they take them off display, in order to study them, we gave them one caveat, which is you have to study them in front of the public. And so that research is ongoing in front of our visitors, which I love because it just shows that science is an ongoing process. We don't have all of the answers. We're still discovering answers. And so I want to see 
that process, that nature of science kind of revealed to our visitors, especially kids. I, I truly support that. You know, you ask kids where food comes from, they tell you the store. Not exactly. And I'm a big fan. <laughs> I'm a big fan of process because if you don't understand the process, you can't value the product. Uh, and you realize now I have to go back and throw out all my old world book encyclopedias and, and Encyclopedia Britannicas with that, that chart of the, of, of, of the evolution of man. Right? It's, it's over. Can't deal Absolutely. with it anymore. Uh, let's talk Absolutely. about... Absolutely. Since we found this species. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, no, but, you know, speaking of process, you have a, a, a program at the museum called The Day in the Life of, of How You Become a Paleoanthropologist. Yes. So we have a Day in the Life program that looks at actually all kinds of science careers. It's an opportunity for kids to understand what it takes to become a scientist and some months it's paleoanthropology, some, some months it's actually paleontology, some months it's gemology, and we give those kids an opportunity to understand what it takes to get into that field. It's also a great opportunity for adults who might have a career crush on a certain area. You know, they, maybe they're an accountant, but they always wish they had gone into paleoanthropology. Gives them a look into what it is that our scientists do. Exactly. I mean, it, it's just really quite amazing to be able to, to do that. What would you say is the most interesting interactive program that you've got? Uh, we have, listen, we have 11 permanent galleries, which we're changing up on a regular basis. Um, that I th- And I think all of them are, are interesting, right? It's like asking which is the most interesting of your children. Um, but I would say that we have recently reopened, as in the last month, our Texas Instruments Hall of Engineering and Innovation with all new robotics and um, exhibits that help explain technology and the advances that have been made in technology. Dallas is such an important part of STEM and the STEM workforce development. I would say that, you know, some of the exhibitions in that space are absolutely intriguing. And then in our Being Human Hall, which, again, explores the human condition, we've got some great virtual reality exhibitions um, that I think are intriguing as well. Well, Linda Silver, the, the most important question, of course, is how many days of the week are you open? We are open seven days a week. So this is, you know, it's a wonderful opportunity to be able to come down, whether you're a school group during the week, whether you're visiting Dallas, whether you're there on the weekends or here over the holiday. Um, you know, we'll be closed on Christmas Day, but otherwise uh, we're open. <laughs> yes, you are. The charge for looking at this pamphlet is $3. <laughs> The charge for looking at this pamphlet and putting it back quickly is $4. Name of the hotel implies there's a lot of art here, and if you're going to have that much art here, you're going to need a curator. And the curator, of course, is Patricia Meadows. Not every hotel has a curator. This is a, a relatively new new job designation in the hotel business, isn't it? Yes. I think a lot of um, hotels just have their interior design people bring in the art. And then they leave. And then they leave. And then they leave. Yes. No, we're here. <laughs> we're here 24-7. There are actually two curators. Virginia Shore from Washington, D.C. did the public art, and I did the guest rooms. Oh, okay. So... Promise me that the guest rooms does not have an oil painting of the dogs playing poker. They do not have. No, no, no. All the guest rooms celebrate the arts district. You know what I'm saying, because the definition traditionally of hotel art was bad. 
you know, there's art. But now, when you go to like a hotel like the 21C Hotel in Louisville and many other hotels around America that really are focused and fascinated with their art collection, you're seeing stuff you really want to you want to take home. Well, Craig Hall has always put art in every development he's ever had. I've worked with him now for 25 years, and art is his business. I mean, he's a developer, he's an entrepreneur, but he is in the art business. So he already knows what he likes. He does. So he's not delegating that. He's hands-on. Um, he's hands-on about all of his businesses. Right. So is there one particular style that you could say defines the art in this hotel? Yes. I would say in the public spaces, it's um, contemporary, fresh, fun, playful, uh, very well done, wonderful artist. Uh, in the guest rooms, we are celebrating the Arts District, and we have photographs of events, activities, people, things that are going on. And how many artists in this hotel are local artists? I can only speak for the, for the photographers, and that's 17. We have 17. Wow. And all photographs of where of we are? Of the Arts District, yes. Wow, which I have to remind everybody is the largest continuous arts district in the United States. In the States. world. Yeah, excuse me, in the world. In the world. Say that again. In, in the, the world. world. <laughs> <laughs> What's the most surprising piece that you have here? The one that people go, you know, what's the one that people have to stop and go, wow? Most of the artwork that you would, the people would stop and say, wow, uh, is in the public spaces, you know? And I just have to tell you, even I am saying, wow, Virginia did a great job. And any particular artist, uh, the other, well, I, I'll get to another question in a second, but the, the one that I'm always asking, because that's, the kind of traveler I am, because I, I always like to bring back stuff from wherever I go. Are these rotating exhibits? Are they permanent exhibits? Can people buy the art? Um, we, we toyed with the idea of people being able to buy the art, particularly the photographs yeah. that are in the arts district. Um, one of the benefits of, of this whole enterprise is that there is a book that features most of the artwork in the um, in the photography. So what you're trying to tell me, Patricia, is I can buy the book. Well, but you would be doing good because the book, um, Hall produced the book, right. but it is for sale, and all the proceeds go to the Arts District Foundation, which helps the smaller arts group get funding money to come and have their performances here. That's great. But here's my other question, which is sort of a rhetorical question, but work with me on this. Yes, my experience at hotels around the world is if there is a, unless it's a family-owned hotel to the extent that it's an heirloom of the family, if a guest really wants that piece and the price is right, they can buy it. What a concept. Well, I know that we will let you um, have, con <laughs> have contact information on all the photographers. Right. And, and you would have to work with Craig and, right. and with Virginia to buy the rest of it, but you know... Another piece of art is fun. Listen, there's a piece of art that's hanging in the Intercontinental Hotel in Miami that I've had my eye on for 15 years. And every year I call them and say, could I? Could and they, I? And they go, no. <laughs> and I'm waiting for the yes. I am waiting for the yes. Well, go pick one out here and let's ask Mr. Hall and see what he says. I'll ask him on the air. No, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I wouldn't put him on the spot. But how many pieces actually are there in the hotel? Oh, I, I for us... For the for the rooms, there are about 450 
um, in the rest of the hotel, I'm going to make a guess because I really have not counted them. Maybe 50, 60, 100, but, I don't but bigger, know. But much bigger pieces. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, now the, the photograph that is over your bed is, um, it's a little over 10 feet long. A photograph? A photograph. That's a big print. It's a big one. Wow. Tough to get in the suitcase. It was tough to get in the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> Come fly with me. Let's fly. Let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. And as I have to keep reminding myself, here we are in the Arts District, but it is the largest continuous Arts District in the United States. Who knew? Eddie Abeda is joining me right now. He's the head of design here at the hotel, not to mention one of the directors of design at HKS. You guys did this. We did, yes. I mean... You had a challenge. You also had an opportunity uh, to bring something to Dallas that it didn't have. Absolutely. And, and then also make it accessible. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the opportunity was really incredible. Um, the fact that I always consider this site one of the most pre premier sites in the United States because of where it's located within the, the heart of the Dallas Arts District. And the Dallas Arts District is really a um, an important neighborhood and community to the to the Dallas uh, downtown Dallas area, and really understanding um, uh, the relationship of what we were trying to create within the the context of this environment um, really was we had to take that very seriously. Um, you think about what the arts district means to the city of Dallas. Um, you know, it's really the intersection of of creativity um, through you know the visual and performing arts and um, the fact that the city of Dallas really invested in the arts district uh, many years ago uh, with its contribution uh, by bringing in some of the highest quality uh, architects across the world was really incredible. World-renowned, Pritzker Prize, uh, uh, gold medalist, etc. But and you also had the opportunity to almost start from scratch. I mean, you, you had a blank canvas. Oh, absolutely. It was a, a blank canvas. Um, urban block situated right at the heart of the arts district. And so really trying to understand um, the the essence of what the arts district is all about and really trying to contribute to the, the public realm relative to how people will, will experience this place was really an, an important piece to how we thought about the project. And what did you want to avoid? Uh, we wanted to avoid really competing with what exists here. We really wanted to contribute in a way that really uh, enhanced and didn't really compete. There's a lot of beautiful pieces of architecture that really define the urban space relative to this district. And the last thing we wanted to do is compete with that. We really wanted to uh, really respect the quality and the sophistication of this international architecture that really defines this place. There were guidelines, of course. There are things you couldn't do, not to mention things you shouldn't do. Yes. Yeah, so um, about 30 years ago, there was uh, some design guidelines created by what they call the Sasaki plan and really that was a vision that really defined the future of what the arts district was striving to be um, in terms of a place that really celebrated the arts and culture in a way that really uh, was striving to be a, a vibrant cultural uh, community center and so thinking about how the evolution of the arts district evolved um, uh, in partnership with Greg Hall himself you know he he strived to create a vision that uh, really brought together a mix of uses in terms of a place where people could work, uh, people will, uh, where uh, where people will live, uh, dine, 
and actually an amazing place to actually experience the art in a new, new way with the hotel. So, in, the hotel, in a way, the the hotel could have been almost incidental. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, there was and there was much intent uh, put forth in terms of thinking about what was the the right type of um, project and program that he could bring to the site to actually contribute to the life of, of the district in a very meaningful way. So I think it's very unique because um, it's going to allow people to not just come and visit the arts district, you know, come to the great museums, look at great arts, experience a great performance, but actually stay here. And so I think even if you're a local um, or you're a traveler, visitor to the city, I think it's a un going to be a, a unique place that brings a new perspective uh, to the way in which people actually experience the arts district. One of the things that, I, that always strikes me in any building, especially if you can think about it ahead of time, is the light, right? Knowing yes. that this is going to be a showcase yes. for art, yes. you had to design this hotel specifically for light. Absolutely. What's, uh, I think, so incredible is the fact that you know, we wanted this project in all regards to really feel connected to the district. So we, we thought a lot about how the spaces were um, designed, um, the shape and form of those spaces, but uh, there's a high degree of transparency from outside to in and inside to out. So that whether, literally, literally, <laughs> while while you're outside on the streets, what's beautiful is the fact that there's a high degree of transparency, and you see the investment that was put forth uh, from Craig Hall, the investment of actually curating very unique and specific pieces of art to the space, and. It actually invites the public in. Did you know about which pieces were going to go in which rooms before you did the design? Uh, we did not. So we were thinking as really the space, like a museum, as really a backdrop to art. Um, you know, we had ideas of where we could actually showcase art. Uh, for instance, the the banquet, um, the banquet hall, and the, the public room, the public rooms, the public rooms. Yes, uh, off of um, Leonard Street, which is immediately across from the the the, um, the the, the wily, uh, highly transparent wall that you can look look into that space and really see this really beautiful, magical piece of art against against the wall, and then looking through the space from the hotel lobby up into the bar and the lounge, and really being able to capture the, the spirit of this place. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. 
Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus, starting May 1st.